0: Well, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here tonight. Nice to see you here. I hope we had enough copies of, of notes. Uh, we're in our what we call the uh, fourth disputation of of the book of Malachi, of the legal cases or arguments that are being brought against the people. You can see on the page one of the notes, all six of them are listed there and the verses are referenced. The one we're doing is number four, chapter 2, verse 17 through uh, chapter 3, verse 5. The first one was uh, that God has a covenant with Israel, and they were discussing that. The nation does not recognize that God is doing anything in history or in their daily life, and they go, where is this? And God says, do you realize the difference between you and all the other nations that have been dispersed and never come back? You are a special people. Uh, The second disputation was Israel does not fear God, and they despise His temple in Jerusalem. Uh, the, and the, basically, the priest, this was, this was an attack on the priests. They were not teaching the people. And instead of leading the people towards God and out of sin, they're letting the people go further into sin, and they're going to be held accountable. The third dispute, the dispute that we looked at last week was chapter 2, verse 10 through 16. And Israel was not being faithful to covenants, of both the Mosaic law and the marriage law. And it dealt with wives that were foreign wives that they were marrying from other countries so they could get into the guilds and make money because it was hard being isolated from all the other countries. But if they married foreign women, they had access to the markets. But but that was a violation of the Mosaic covenant. But to get there, they would have to divorce their Jewish wife, because they were just stricken in poverty and trying to make a living, you know, their father had no connections, so they had break covenant with the wife of their youth, so they were violating a marriage covenant, and then marrying foreign wives that had been dedicated to foreign gods, and it wasn't a matter that they were foreign, that it wasn't because of a racial thing, is because they had a different philosophy, they're following a different god, and they're going away from Yahweh to these wives for money. And we're compromising the religion. Okay, that's the first three disputes. This fourth one uh, that we're seeing tonight is uh, uh, God is growing weary, we'll read it, with Israel because they want, we'll just say, justice. And it's interesting, especially for our culture, they think God is not being a fair judge because they see evil people or evil things Uh, Not being judged. I mean, where's the wrath of God coming down? And we're over here being good. And uh, there's no difference between the evil people and the good people. Now, these definitions would be absolute definitions coming from an absolute uh, being, an absolute reality, which we'll call God. God but they're challenging yahweh the god of israel and saying where's your justice this is what is right this is evil this is good but you seem to bless these people and don't care about these people what is going on we want the god of justice well first of all this is true there is absolute right and wrong but their definitions are questionable what what they're doing is good What they don't like is evil. And now you've got that situation of calling good evil and evil good. And you can see, just for a moment, just imagine uh, teaching verse by verse through the Bible and talking about the things that God, uh, that we think the text, the scripture is saying clearly, and then lay that over our culture. And the culture is going to choke on that. Our postmodern culture cannot handle. So they're going to define what they think is love what they think is godly and tolerant and they're going to call that good and then they're going to look at this warmongering hateful scriptural God that's judging people thinks he's always right and that would be evil now that's not the context of our topic tonight but you can see just because they're calling Yahweh's judgment into question doesn't mean they've clearly identified good and evil in this case. And so that has been or is a problem. And so I'll read just real quickly in the NIV. Uh, This section, this uh, uh, fourth dispute, begins at the end of chapter 2, verse 17. There's only one verse left. And it's going to go down into chapter 3 for the first five verses. So here it is just straight up the NIV translation. The notes are in the English Standard Version, and then we've got the Hebrew there also. Chapter 2, verse 17 of Malachi. You have wearied the Lord with your words, says Malachi, the prophet. Israel, he puts words in their mouth. They say, how have we wearied him, you ask? By asking all who do evil, are good in the eyes of the Lord and he is pleased with them or where is the God of justice now we will look at that word where is the God of justice that's how it's translated the word stands in the Hebrew by itself as judgment where is the God of judgment now again there's a difference between justice and judgment the, the, the two can go hand in hand but you can have judgment without justice They're just calling for, where is the God of judgment? Okay, chapter 3, verse 1. This is God's answer, and it is eschatological. He says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord... Uh, and, and do notice as we read that word, Lord, it's not capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's not Yahweh. It's Adonai. Which, again, the Lord Adonai is or can be Yahweh. But the Lord Adonai can be your master. It can be a, 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 an individual. It could be you know, a foreign god. It could be whoever. But Yahweh... Capital L, Capital O, Capital R, Capital D, translated in English, is the personal name of the God of Israel, Yahweh. He is also the Lord. So he you could say in English, clumsily, you could say, the Lord, Lord. You know, Adonai Yahweh. Okay. But just so you notice, then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. Now, now put this in perspective. This is Yahweh speaking through His prophet. Go to chapter 3, verse 1. See, I, Yahweh speaking, will send my, Yahweh's messenger, who will prepare the way before me, Yahweh. Then suddenly, the Adonai, the Lord, not Yahweh, could be, but doesn't, it's not His name. It's, it's, it's Adonai then suddenly the Adonai you are seeking will come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant. So this Adonai is going to come to his temple and he is the messenger of the covenant whom you desire. This is, you're asking for judgment? Well, get ready, because suddenly he's going to be there with the covenant and he'll come to his temple and this is what you're looking for. He will come, says, now says the Lord Almighty. Notice right there, Lord Almighty is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. says Yahweh Almighty. Okay, but now when it's like, there it is. That's loaded. That verse is loaded. You've got three people going on in that verse, three persons. Uh, you've got Yahweh. You've got His messenger is going to come and prepare the way. And then you've got Adonai who's going to come to the temple which Yahweh is worshipped in. And here's this messenger uh, that's going to be... It's like so. there's three people taking place here and you already have it figured out and I'll explain it. It doesn't mean it's correct, but talking about those things. Um, but then look in verse 2. When this, when this all goes down, when this goes down, And you're wanting this? Okay. Uh, uh, But who can endure the day of His coming? When this happens, you're asking for judgment? Uh, No one's going to endure that. Uh, The day you're seeking. uh, But who can endure the day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? For He will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap, meaning he's going to be doing some changing. He's going to be doing some cleaning. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify... Now here comes a couple groups of people. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord, that's Yahweh, will have men... Who will bring offerings in righteousness? He is going to sit and refine them and wash them. And when he, Adonai, the Lord, uh, is finished, then Yahweh will have true priests, offering or true men, Levites that are being washed, offering in righteousness. And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to Yahweh as in the days gone by as in former days, in the Old Covenant when the temple was up and running. Now, verse 5. The second group. So I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against... Then he gives you a list. These would be people that did not get refined. Sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers against those who defraud labors of their wages... Who oppress the widows and this is the social oppression? This is the Hamas generation, the, the violent generation. Who oppress the widows and the fatherless and de- de- deprive aliens of justice? But do not fear me, says Yahweh Almighty. So again, that's loaded with some information there, and I'll try to get through that uh, as quickly as we can. It's kind of exciting, and it, it could we could spend weeks on this. Um, the first thing you've got on that first page, we'll just look very quickly, this is going to be uh, Malachi coming and approaching the people, giving them, this is the English Standard version now on the top of the notes, uh, here it is in the English Standard, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Now I'm looking right here, uh, make sure I check this out here, We're, Yeah, see that's that's in the NIV, that's all capital letters. Since we're doing it, that should be all capital letters. You have wearied the Lord. Uh, And you can check, if you want to, just look down in the Hebrew, verse 17 of the Hebrew. The first Hebrew word starting on the right side uh, is you have wearied. And then you can see right there, Yahweh. So that doesn't take place in the English Standard Version right there. I don't know if I made a typo or whatever, uh, but it's clearly... You have wearied Yahweh with your words, so we're uh, Yahweh is weary. And this weary, uh, real quickly, you can see. I think it's on the yeah bottom of the page. Wearied is the word hogatim. Uh, it means from yaga. It means to toil, to labor. Uh, it can be, mean you become weary doing something yourself. You've been working and you've wearied yourself out with labor. And it can refer to actions that result in a person b- being wearied. So somehow, Yahweh has been wearied. Now, don't be careful. It's like, what? Yahweh's eternal. He can't get tired. He can't be weary. Okay, we're not talking about physical weary. Uh, but something, he is running out of energy. He's running out of strength. He's running out. He's, he's getting tired. And again, He's holding the universe together. Yahweh's fine. He doesn't need a medical checkup. Nothing's... We don't need it. We're not being blasphemous. It's Yahweh speaking through his prophet. What's weird and what he's getting tired of is their words. And he's going to say, there were, what their, their words... And now these words are going to reflect their attitude, their value, their priorities. And it's going to... Their words are going to become not just attitudes and thoughts but they're going to become actions in their behavior. So words, yeah, words means words, what they're saying. But what they're saying uh, is a projection of what they're doing. It's the, the Words reflect their whole their lifestyle. Um, okay, you have wearied Yahweh with your words. But then now, like throughout all these disputes, Israel's going to push back. Whoa, whoa. This doesn't make sense. How how have we wearied Him? What are we doing that would be wearing on Yahweh? We are the people. We are doing things right. We, we, We are the ones that are wearied. We are the ones that are seeking some answers. If anybody's getting tired here, it's us that's getting tired. How have we wearied Yahweh? But you say, how have we wearied Him? Well, here's how you've wearied Him. By saying... Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of Yahweh. Uh, let me make sure I get this right again. In the sight of... Uh, I'm looking for this. Wearied image. You say everyone who does evil is good in the sight... Yeah, of Yahweh. Okay, so you, since I've started that trend, this is Yahweh. So in Yahweh's eyes, what they're saying is everyone who does evil, they're doing evil... But in Yahweh's eyes, he sees that as good. And we're down here being oppressed by all this evil, and God is saying, oh, he's smiling. Ah, that's good. It's like, what, where? And God is saying, this is what you're saying about me, but this is not true. And I'm putting up with this attitude. You're you're twisted. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. In fact, He delights in what they're doing, their behavior. Now, earlier, he was talking to them about them delighting in him. They've turned it around, and now they're pushing it back on him. You delight in evil. There's there's this breakdown in their relationship. Okay. Uh, He delights in them, or by asking, where is the God of justice? Now, uh, bottom of page one, I've got a verse there from Isaiah 43. I think I've got a series of verses there. Uh, This is just the the places where weary is used, where sometimes God is wearying the people, sometimes the people are wearying God. Isaiah 43, 22 through 24. Yet you did not call upon me, God says, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. In other words, Israel was weary of God. They they weren't coming to him. They are tired of going to God. We're going to go somewhere else. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored me. Uh, with your sacrifices. They've gotten tired of bringing, they've been worn out bringing sacrifices. They're just not going to do it anymore. Now they're being judged for this. He says, I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. You have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. In that case, he says, I don't see how you're tired because you haven't brought anything to me. What, who's getting tired? They're kind of accusing each other of being weary, that people are weary of bringing sacrifices. He says, but I, I haven't worn you out because you haven't been doing anything. Who's getting tired here? Who's had enough? Because I've had enough of your sins. Micah 6, 3 through 4. Actually continue if you read the whole thing all the way down to verse 8. But very quickly, O oh my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery and sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. And he goes on all the things he did, and now the people are like, ah, we're just worn out. I've carried you this far. Do you think you can uh, move a little bit? No, we can't. Uh, Oh, just some points here. Point two, but you say, you can see the Hebrew there, introduce the people challenging Yahweh's claim to be weary. In what way? Bama. Uh, begins the people challenging how have we wearied you and yahweh explains that they have been saying how they are thinking which produces how they behave and the people's words against yahweh have been a and this is we'll go back and look at this again everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the lord and he delights in them there this is just the points yahweh is violating the basic principles of good and evil yahweh is pleased with evildoers instead of punishing them yahweh calls evil good and good evil This will be restated again, and we haven't heard the last of this. Malachi 3.15, in the next chapter, it's going to be said, And now we call the arrogant, blessed, evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. So even in chapter 3, verse 15, they're saying these people are doing evil down here, and they're, they're prospering. They put God to the test, and he can't respond. He's too weak to respond to the evil that they're doing. Uh, that's what they're saying in the next chapter. So they've got—they definitely think God. They think God is slacking off. Uh, the definition of good—I I said that about deity, Isaiah 5:20 and Jeremiah 18:20. That's where it says, "Woe to those who call evil good, and good evil." Do you realize, Isaiah and Jeremiah were talking to the people before the captivity, saying, "You're getting very dangerous territory. You're calling good evil, and you're calling evil good." and that's not going to last. You're going to have to come face reality eventually and they end up in captivity. Well, now they're on this side of captivity, rebuilt the temple, heading into this part of the history, and they are, once again, reverse that, now telling God, you've got it backwards. And God says, boy, I'm getting tired of that. And <laughs> when God gets tired of something, it, it can't be good. Uh, look in the box at the bottom of page 2. Uh, this is Ezekiel 18, 21 through 32, the whole thing. These verses are also from before the captivity. Actually, it's 597. There's already been the first deportation, which included Daniel, the second, 597. Now, which was Ezekiel and the craftsmen are gone to Babylon. There's going to be the 586 destruction. Uh, but this is right about here. So there, it's in the midst of the uh, a Babylonian captivity coming. Uh, but here, just interesting. But if a wicked person turns away from him... Now, this is, justifies uh, what God is doing. They want judgment. And God is saying, wait, listen, we, we can't bring judgment yet, otherwise you're all going to get destroyed. No one's ready for judgment. And this, is, this is, speaks to us. Uh, it's like a lot of times we would like to see things cleaned up or straightened. Now, there's a, there can be revival and there can be a resetting of culture maybe sometimes through historical events. Uh, but as far as, you know, God calling everyone to account, I mean, are we ready for that? Well, anyway, God is, even the Bible, New Testament says, God is, is patient, God is patient, not wanting anyone to perish. Because Peter's doing through the, going through the same thing as he's writing in his day in the New Testament. People are like, what is going on? He says, well, listen, just God is patient. Paul writes about this. God doesn't want anyone to perish And so he's going to be patient and let this gospel spread and bring people into the kingdom. But even Peter's going to write, remember, judgment begins with the house of God. And that concept is coming up in here also. Judgment is coming, and it's going to begin when God enters his temple. And who's in the temple? The Levites. So guess where? He comes to his temple. Where's judgment going to start? Well, it's going to start with you, and it's going to spread out from here. So that's coming up in this chapter. Okay, Ezekiel 18 but if a wicked person turns away from all his sin that he has committed and keeps all my statutes and does what is just and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the transgressions that he has committed shall be remembered against him. For the righteousness that he has done, he shall live. Have I, he says, any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, uh, the Lord God and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? But when a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice and does the same abominations that the wicked person does, shall he live. None of the righteous deeds that he has done shall be remembered for the treachery of which he is guilty and the sin he has committed, for them he shall die. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O house of Israel. This is 597. They're saying right now, in 4.30, 4.32, the same thing they were saying in 5.97. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. Hear now, O house of Israel, is my way not just? Is it not your ways that are, that are not just? Now again, that little side note there, anytime, and I, I talk to myself personally, anytime I say, this isn't right, and the word of God says something contradictory, it's like, as I'm saying about well, this isn't right. God is not. It's like, no. God say, well, when you say it's not right and you're coming against the word of God, isn't really you the one that is not right? And so they say, uh, the way of the Lord is not just. And you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Here now, house of Israel, is my way not just? Is not your ways that are not just? When a righteous person turns away from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. For the injustice that he has done, he shall die again. When a wicked person turns away from the wickedness he has committed and does what is just and right, he shall save his life. Because he he considered and turned away from all the transgressions that he had committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not just, O house of Israel. Are my ways not just? Is it not your ways that are not just? And again, the application in, in that context can be You've got Israel, the children of God, the people of God, the uh, the chosen people, Israel. Where are they heading? They're over in Babylon, and the Babylonians are the pagans. And now Israel's being judged by the pagans, and you know God is simply saying, uh, "Let's say you're righteous, but if you start living wickedly, it doesn't matter." Anybody can repent, including, of course, the Gentiles. We saw that in Nineveh and heading into the New Testament. Okay, page three. They ask, where's the God of justice? Israel is looking for justice. They want God, the God of justice. And here it is. Justice is the noun translated from the word, you can see it there in the Hebrew, uh, mishfat, which simply means judgment. So they're saying, where is the God of judgment. Now when you're calling for judgment, you've already decided what is just. You've already determined these people need judged, these people are innocent. Now the people that are saying this, they're over here, they're okay. And they're looking over here at some group and we I, we don't know which group it is, but that's what they're saying. They want God somewhere, they want God to intervene and crush somebody. And they, by crushing them, they'll they'll be in a better position. Maybe it's, uh, who knows? Maybe it's the foreign nations. Maybe it's someone that's cutting in on their business. Uh, we know. But they want that justice. They want the judgment to come on these people. and they're, So they're wanting, well, okay. They're wanting God to play the part that they want him to play. They're, they're, in a sense, putting God in a box, saying, do this. I mean, people do that all the time. This is what I want God to do. And you've got to be careful how you pray uh, because you want to pray in line with God's will. That's why we went through on on Sunday, we went through 1 Timothy uh, where he's talking about, in chapter 2, talking about the things they need to do, understand this, and pray this way, knowing these things. Because you can go and pray, but if you don't know the will of God, you're actually praying down your will. See, we have the advantage. We we can find out what God's will is. This is God's will. So if you want God's will in your world, you should pray God's will. So they've got false teaching going on in Ephesus, and Timothy's been sent there to fix it. And the first thing, okay, this is how you need to pray. And Paul establishes some things that are going to just like, check after check, each statement is eliminating a false doctrine that the false teachers have brought into the church, and... Everybody's getting confused, and Paul says, no. First thing, first of all, this is how you pray. And it begins with, God's will is this. And the same thing here, where's the God of judgment? We've decided we're praying this, and God's not doing it. Where is our answer to prayer? guys? whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not even what I'm doing. This is not even what my plan is. Um, and so uh, it goes on, and says the people want judgment. Judgment. Uh, Point two, uh, it says the people don't want what is just. They have already decided what is good and bad, and they just want things judged. Yahweh has asked, where is my honor and where is my reverence? In chapter 1, verse 6. But the people are saying, right here, it's a a flip-flop. They have said in chapter 1, verse 6, or God says, where is my honor, where is my reverence? They're now saying, where is our justice, or where is our judgment that's supposed to be coming uh, here? all right thank you all right the next verse now describes this is here's where the turning point comes the next verse now describes what the God of justice will do when he comes as the God of judgment you they say where's the God of judgment well he's waiting he he's he's here and the same thing with us today we look at what's going on in the world today uh, uh, in our culture whatever you know Everybody's got something to complain about. It's like, where is God? Now, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever in, in Genesis, in Exodus, in David's life, before the, the Babylonian captivity here in 430. Always God's the same, but why doesn't he? There's some things I would like to see him intervene in right now. And in a sense, I think he's building up, building the case. You know, I'm not a prophet. I don't know. I just kind of look and have an opinion which, here, read this. I wonder if I should have an opinion. I should just shut up and just let things go. Because I'm saying, where is this? Where is that? Okay. Um, but uh, they say, where is this justice? Where is this judgment? Well, here, here it comes. I, I do want to point out this also. Uh, that's what's going to come in the next verse. Uh, Many prophecies of the Messiah combine both his first and second coming we see that in Isaiah, the first coming of the Messiah, the suffering servant, uh, is for an example. But the same person, there's going to be a second coming, which is coming back as the victorious king. Uh, and the Old Testament prophets were looking at it, and they sometimes, you can see it several times, we're going to see it here tonight. They, they talked about this event, and this event, it's the same person, it's the same Eschatology and it's all happening now. For example, Malachi was living here, we are living somewhere in here. We can talk about this historically the first coming, but just like the Old Testament saints, uh, the people of Malachi they're looking at this and looking for this. And they had scripture, they had Jeremiah, they had Isaiah talking about Daniel, they had Daniel, they knew about this. Uh, we have seen this, or we have historical information on this. We're living here, waiting for this to take place right here, the second coming. And so, that happens throughout Scripture, That's going to happen in the same verse, that's point B. And also, to kind of set these verses up, and I've said it several times, I'll say it again here, is when Moses built the tabernacle in the wilderness, had the bronze altar out here, the bronze altar the bronze base and had the one table of showbread, the one lampstand, had the altar of incense and had the ark of the covenant sitting here the glory of god came down into the tabernacle then solomon builds the temple builds a big temple it's very similar just to do the same thing and very they're getting it all set up after solomon built it the glory of god comes down they had to stop worshiping stop the service because it the cloud of the glory filled the temple and the, the priest couldn't find you. you you've read that before. Uh, 5C1, in Ezekiel 10, and I, I would, you know, like to spend time reading it to you. Very clearly, the glory of the Lord rises up from the Ark of the Covenant and moved to the threshold. And Ezekiel is watching this. And the glory it then went from here all the way out east to the Mount of Olives, and ascended the glory of god left ezekiel's temple or solomon's temple 586 just a few years within a decade that temple was burnt to the ground totaled and it remained let's say 586 it remained in rubble until 70 years later 516 after haggai and zachariah came and encouraged the people to Get back on they started rebuilding it they started they laid the foundation for the altar in 538 after 539 when cyrus says you can go back after babylon captivity they laid the foundation of the the altar and then the samaritans and all the opposite you can't do this so they quit they didn't do anything until Haggai and malachi or uh uh, and zachariah showed up and in 520 they got fired back up and started building the temple again And it was completed and dedicated in 516. But what did not happen, as far as we can see in Scripture, there was no glory. There's no glory there. And there's no ark. There's no ark. So if you say, well, the glory's there, well, the ark's not. There's there's not an ark. So they've got this temple that continues from 520 through this time period. Uh, Alexander's going to come. The solutions are going to, uh, all to offer a, a pig out here on the altar. Uh, Antioch's Epiphanies, like 160 BC. He's going to shut it down for a while. And then Herod's going to come. He's going to convince the priests, let him rebuild it. They're going to expand the Temple Mount. And you see it in the Jerusalem book a big, big Temple Mount, big, glorious building, one of the most beautiful buildings. Even the disciples called Jesus' attention. Uh, isn't this a beautiful temple? Uh, and, and there still was no glory there. This was still empty. and nowhere did we see the glory come into the temple. And then in 70 AD, that temple that gets burnt down, and you can still see the rubble and the remains of parts of that. Now just, just keep this in mind. The temple Mount's still there. You can still see steps going up to it and still see the retaining wall, things like this. We're looking at a time where there's going to be a, some kind of a temple built again. And the Antichrist is going to, they're going to let, let the Jews worship for about three and a half years, apparently. This is eschatology, looking into the future. And the Antichrist, then, after three and a half years, is going to come and take his place in the temple. Uh, I, I think that's Elon Musk with a chip, artificial uh, intelligence chip, that he's going to come be the Antichrist, sit right here. Uh, no, I don't. I just, I'm trying to be funny right there. That's, I have no idea. I like Elon Musk. I'm kind of scared about artificial intelligence. Uh, but anyway, the Antichrist uh, is going to be seated there. But af- Jesus is going to return. that's all going to be, I'm not sure what's going to happen to this temple. It's going to be rebuilt. It's going to be used for three and a half years. Offerings will be offered. The Antichrist is going to take over. And after seven years, I'm not sure what happens to it. But we do know in Ezekiel, Ezekiel, uh, I uh, don't have it written. I think it's chapter 43. I think it's chapter 43. Uh, Ezekiel has measured a temple, and then the glory of God returns, comes on the Mount of Olives, and returns into the temple for what, what I call the millennium te- millennial temple, or the thousand years. Now again, we're talking, uh, it's easier to talk about these events. They're historical. These events, it's hard to say. But this is where we see, the first time we see the glory coming back into the temple is going to be in Ezekiel in the distant future. Or if it starts tonight, in about seven to eight years. Uh, Again, that's, you know, I'm not making any, I have no idea when it's going to take place. Now, what is being said in these verses, and let's look at this way, I'm saying this right here. Now, they've just asked for judgment. Justice. Where's God? Where, where's God? Uh, the evil get away with it? Uh, this, it makes no sense. Okay. Chapter 3, verse 1. Here's your answer then. Behold, I, Yahweh, will send my messenger. Character number one. I will send my messenger. And he will prepare the way before me. He's going to prepare the way. And again, that word... Uh, me, prepare the way before me, before Yahweh, and the Lord Adonai, uh, again, you can say it's the same, Yahweh and the Lord, but they're different words, you know, if you're talking about Yahweh, and the Lord Adonai, whom you seek, you're, this is the guy you're looking for. The Lord, you're, you're asking for, where's the God of justice? Well, <laughs> the one you're seeking, he'll come. It says, the Lord you are seeking, Okay, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly, that's a fun word, suddenly come to his temple. Now, apparently they knew he wasn't in the temple in Malachi's day. Because they, they, they read about coming down in Moses' tabernacle. They could read about coming down in Solomon's temple. They had to stop the service. They could read in Ezekiel where God leaves the temple. And right here they know, apparently, they've just got a stack of blocks doing their rituals. But where's God? Well, listen, the day is coming, and it will be sudden when the Lord that you're seeking, that you want back in this temple, He's going to come to His temple. He's going to show up at the temple. And the messenger of the covenant, and that would be him. It may, some people say that would be a, another person, but the messenger of the covenant, and that is, you've already got the Mosaic covenant, and the messenger of the Mosaic covenant was Moses, and everyone else is just referring back to it. This is the messenger of the covenant, and it's already recorded in Jeremiah 31 31 that there will be a new covenant in the future Ezekiel talks about I'm gonna give you a new heart there's gonna be a new something new is going to happen and so these things were not out of step he's gonna to come to the one you're seeking is gonna to come to his temple he's not in there yet and the covenant he's the messenger of the covenant so one's coming to prepare the way for the one, the Lord, who's coming to His temple with the covenant, the messenger of the covenant. Now it's fun. I've probably got in the notes there. Yeah, right there. One a, the word my messenger is my Malachi. The word you can see it in the Hebrew if you look in the notes there. Malachi is the word messenger. It's it can be translated messenger. It can be translated sometimes angel because the angel, even if you see it in Revelation, it, which is in the Greek. But you know, to the angel of the church of Smyrna, right, or to the messenger uh, of the church of Smyrna, which could be, you know, the overseer, the speaker, the pastor, somebody. But so that's debated who they're talking to. But nonetheless, suddenly will come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So that is Yahweh talking about all these things. So you've got three things he's speaking about the Lord coming to the temple and my messenger. If you turn the page, I've got that all written down right there on the bottom there. If you turn the page, um, uh, I think what we'll do first of all is look at point four. And I think I I could read you the verses, but I think you're familiar with the verses. and We want to keep moving. Yes, we do. Um, But we could. Point four, clear, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to use the word clearly. You do not have to accept this, you're going to want to, but for me, this is a slam dunk. Clearly, from the New Testament, John the Baptist is my messenger. This is John the Baptist. So now, and again, I've got verses there that I think, the reason I can say clearly is sometimes we got to speculate, you know, is Elon Musk the Antichrist, you know, is Nero the Antichrist, you know, it, I, I, we don't know. But the Bible makes it pretty clear, in fact, some of these verses are used to refer to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, we're going to go we'll look at some verses here, he's going to, he even says, I, I'm preparing the way. He, he prepared the way for, well, Jesus. Well, if John the Baptist is the messenger and he's preparing the way for the Lord, this is, Jesus, and now this will suddenly come to his temple. Uh, Well, we could go back to Ezekiel when the same Jesus, okay, all these verses, from the Mount of Olives, Jesus sends into heaven, and the angel says, the same Jesus you saw is going to come back the same way. He's going to descend on the Mount of Olives, and Ezekiel, that's where he saw the glory return to and enter the temple. So that's in the distant future, the Lord is going to enter his temple. And that, that's in the future. So that, that, that would be one. See, that's one in the distant future. But then John the Baptist is there. Uh, you're going to have, and that's the next point right there, Jesus in Luke 2, 21 through 40, John. Uh, Jesus, as an infant, is brought into the temple precincts and a couple prophet and prophetess come up and identify him. In fact, was it Simon, Is it Simeon? Simeon, he comes up and says, I, I'm ready to go. He says, I was promised somehow he received a word from God that he would see this, this Lord. He would see this Messiah come into his temple. And he says, I, I've seen it. He says, I'm ready to go. It's like, it's a baby. I mean, my God, this is a baby, a son of a carpenter with this young woman. It's like, this is him. I'm, I'm ready to depart. It's like, well, that is, he's standing on the stinking temple mount. You've got Jesus every year showing up for Passover. You've got Jesus teaching on the temple mount. You've got Jesus turning tables over, which fulfills another prophecy. When <laughs> I could go back to Jeremiah or Isaiah, when it talks about, so I'm saying, what is that turmoil I hear? I hear the sound of all this commotion on the temple. Ah, oh, it's the Lord on the temple. And, he's, and that's exactly what's saying. he's turning the tables over, just causing a stampede. It's like he's cleaning a house in 30 AD, He cleared 27 AD, and also 30 AD. But then on the last week, he shows up, and even there it records, he turned his back and walked out, and he's never going back again. And so you've got the time that he was dedicated. You've got all the visits he made. You've got the time he cleared the temple, uh, the, t- the tables. He's got that last week when he's up there teaching. And then you've got this distant one where he's going to come back on his return. So this is him coming to his temple, again emphasizing, and maybe too much, but there is not the glory, the presence of God is not in the temple of Zerubbabel at that time. Not like, at least not like it was in Moses' tabernacle and Solomon's temple, um, the ark's not there, which kind of justifies that point. The only thing that you'd question is, well, when Jesus died, the curtain was torn. And again, was it this curtain before the holy place? Was it the curtain out in front? And why was it torn? I mean, was it that it shows the way is in? Or was it God leaving the temple? I don't think God was leaving. I don't think God was there. I think it was a tribute to them, and they were doing the sacrifices. Nonetheless, the reason I'm talking about that is... This verse says, suddenly, he will come to his temple. Now, you understand what the people would have thought in 432, if this is when this is taking place, they would have thought the glory isn't here yet, but suddenly, he's going to show up and occupy this temple. Well, that temple is going to be morphed into Herod's temple, which is going to be the temple that Jesus does come to, but it's some 400 years into the future. Okay, keep that in mind. I'm giving you information. But clearly, well, ah, John the Baptist, go back to... uh, Go back to Isaiah 57, and you know these verses. Uh, Prepare the way. Uh, The word in the Hebrew is panah. It means to turn. He's going to prepare the way, and that means to turn in in the simple meaning. And which, again, that's what they say in the New Testament. He'll turn the hearts... Away and to the Lord he's going to prepare the people for repentance, and that's why he's baptizing them and they' they're repenting he's turning them to start looking. this is exactly what John the Baptist was doing. They were repenting they were ter- repent means to to turn to change your mind. I used to think this I'm now thinking this I've turned this messenger, my messenger, will prepare he will turn, which means to get people ready for the Lord who will suddenly come to the temple. This is, this is the beginning of the gospel right here. Now, that's, that's in the rough sense, but also we can build on it. It's used in Isaiah 57. I'm going to flip over there very quickly. Isaiah 57, verse 14 through 21. And this is, uh, again, the same thing, except there's going to be a preparation of a building of a road which takes out of the ancient world, it, it could be in the Old Testament, if it's the Babylonians or the Assyrians, but definitely in, in the Romans, when a king uh, is going to, like Caesar Augustus, took a time and traveled throughout his empire, at least portions of it. Well, it, it was, you know, just like if the president is going somewhere, it's booked, it's scheduled, the hotels are set up, the, the roads are blocked off, there's, a, there's a, a, a caravan of cars, what's it called? A what? motorcade. I've been trying to think of that word all night, motorcade. There's a motorcade. Everybody knows it's all mapped out. You can't go here. Well, it'd be a similar way, except they're going from city to city, and they had roads or they had trails, but some of them were just for the common people, and if you wanted a better path, you'd have to, like, prepare it yourself. Well, if the emperor is coming, they would send out a road crew ahead and at least make sure all the, the the, the fallen trees were out of the way. So it could be a quick, smooth, and if there's like some curvy place you had to take through it, they would make, maybe make a road that's a little bit straighter, make straight his paths. That's exactly what they would do for an, a, a dignitary that was traveling. They would send out someone to prepare the road, the literal road, so that the motorcade could get there easily. Well, this person, my messenger, is going to prepare the way. It means to turn, talking about people, But here, it's referred to here in other places. I'll read again now, uh, chapter 57, verse 14. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road. Remove the obstacles out of the way of my people. For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit and the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrive. I will not accuse forever nor will I always be angry for then the spirit of man would grow faint before me they would grow weary before me the breath of man that I have created I was enraged he goes on talks about you know he's going to do this work uh, uh, yeah. it just goes on talking about that Uh, restoration. And then uh, 62.10, 62.10, Um, pass through and pass through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, remove the stones, raise a banner for the nations. This is talking about in the in the end times when the nations are coming to jerusalem after jesus has returned and they're coming to recover to the the recovered land that roads are going to be made for the people to get back so the idea here is the messenger would prepare the road and john the baptist is going to be doing that for jesus Um, yeah and the other things we've got right there the new covenant suddenly in point six desire was used in chapter 215 when god desired godly offspring The very last verse we looked at last week was God says, what I desired was godly offspring. Now the people are saying, what we desire is God. God is saying, verse 15 of last week, I desire godly offspring. And what we said, you know, that could refer to, you know, children of the people. But more likely, he's talking about Israel as his offspring, as his nation, a godly people that are being produced. Well, now the people are saying, well, what we desire is we desire the God of justice. Or, actually, we desire judgment. We need judgment to come and get this thing back online. Well, chapter 3, verse 2. Oh, my gosh, it's only chapter 3, verse 2. But he says, you're asking for the God of judgment. Uh, He says, but who can endure the day of his coming? He said, okay, he said, I, I'm coming. I'm going to send the messenger and then, and who's going to prepare the way. And then suddenly the Lord is going to come to his temple uh, suddenly. The, the, the messenger of, I'll add, the new covenant. Again, he just says the messenger of the covenant or of my covenant, promised in Jeremiah possibly, the new covenant. The messenger of my covenant will come suddenly to his temple. He could have come in the early days of the gospel. It could have come throughout his ministry. But all of a sudden, Jesus is there at the first coming. But His first coming, He's going to come to the temple. The people's hearts are to be prepared and turned. But, chapter 3, verse 2, there's there's the, the part of the suffering servant, the first part. But the second part is He comes back as the victorious king. Here's the first part. He comes to His temple. Now The hearts of people have been prepared that He might turn them with a new covenant, but there's the follow-up on that, too. You, you can't have the suffering servant come without the next thing being the victorious king. Or you can't have the new covenant with him coming and offering himself a new heart. to give you a new, new heart, uh, a new covenant uh, in his blood without him coming as the judge to prepare for himself. We're going to see, to prepare for himself. Uh, the term is Levites. We could think possibly it refers to, now Levites could refer to just the Levitical branch, or they're all sons of Levi. So all the priests and Levites are from Levi. One family became the priests; the rest of them remained as Levites. So when you say Levites, if you're talking about Levi, it includes all of these, or the priests. Or you could be talking about just the Levitical group. I'm going to say the new covenant that Jesus brings, the messenger, is going to be given so that he can prepare priests we're thinking New Testament priesthood Paul talks about it we are priests, and he's gonna prepare us so that we can bring him the correct offerings not talking about restoring the Levitical priesthood just like we talked on on uh, on Sunday the pre, the offering of of prayer is is acceptable it, uh, because it's done the right way. And this is what he's talking about, preparing this, the, this new people, this, this New Testament people. Okay, so here we go. But who can endure the day of his coming? Referring to, in a sense, the second coming. He's already come to his temple. Here he comes. And who can stand when he appears? That's exactly the way Revelation 6 ends on the day of the Lord has come And ask who can stand? I mean, it's right there. It appears, and there he is, and it's like, and who can stand? And the next chapter, it gives you two groups. One, that all of a sudden is taken out of the tribulation and are standing before the throne of God. They saw a great multitude from every nation standing before the Lord. And then 144,000 Jews, 12,000 each tribe is sealed to continue to work on the earth. So when he returns, who can stand? Well, John, the very next chapter, those that are in heaven and the Jews that are sealed on earth. Okay, here it says, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Same thing Revelation 6 ends with. But the question is, who, when he comes to judge, who, you think, you, I mean, me, I think what I want is Jesus to return and end this mess. <laughs> you think you could stand that? Yeah, yeah. We need to judge the sinners. It's like, well, when he comes, he's coming as the judge. The are you ready for this? Well, now that can I have a couple days? Can I can I have a couple days? It's like, well, yeah, I'm ready. It's like when we talk about those people, but when you look at it as a universal, we will all. When those guys are being judged by the Lord, I'm not like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm too busy like staring at the Lord's face myself, going, oh, am I ready for this? It's like. In a simple sense, like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm a believer. Okay, now you're about to stand in front of the face of the Lord Himself. Yeah, give me a few moments. Okay, but then nonetheless, who can stay, who can endure that day of His coming? Who can stand when He appears? For when He comes, and it's two things, He is like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. Now, this soap, this is the word. It, it's bleach. Now we you know we think of you know soft fabric and you know everything. We got little things we put in our laundry and stuff. This is bleach. Basically, it's just bleaching stuff out. It's strong. The fire, is, you know, refiner's fire, they're going to put the metal in the fire, uh, not just to heat it up so they can bend it and shape it, but to burn it so that all the impurities flow to the top and they can scrape them off so they can get as pure a piece of silver as possible. So when he comes, when he comes to me, he's coming not say, oh, yay, you're so, you're so good. It's like he's coming like a refiner's fire. He's coming to clean off all the, the impurities that he doesn't want in my life. He's coming like bleach to clean me, to get rid of all the spots so that I am ready to be his priest, that I'm ready to serve with offering. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not denying the grace of God. I'm not saying I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by faith in Christ Jesus' work. But understand, that gets you guys know this. That is, you're justified. I have faith in Christ. You're now justified in the name of Christ. You, you are a child of God. And now what begins? The glorification, the resurrection. No, oh, no, no, no. The process of sanctification is like we're going to now begin the transforming into the image of Christ. Well, I'm already saved. Right. He shed his blood, and you've been entered into the covenant. But the plan is that he's got to create in you a clean heart. He wants to see the fruit of the Spirit. He wants to see the fruit of good. The priests are going to be offering the works, good works, done by the power of the Spirit. Well, I'm ready. It's like, well, I know I'm not. I mean, I, I've, I can, I've, I'm 60, 63, and I, 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 I was in the, I've been in the fire. Uh, now, first 15, 20 years, not so much. I kind of did my own thing. But as time has gone on, I realize god is doing this to me now okay that's enough that personal stuff but the idea here but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears for he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap referring to bleach he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver when he comes he's not going to be in a rush he's going to sit down and work the metal now yeah, it'd be nice if we just had a big old pool of silver. There, All of us are all out there, a big pool of silver. And so we're all like swimming in this, ah, being refined in life. It's like, it makes it sound like he's going to sit down and work on this little pot of silver and work on that. That's me. And then and then that's you. And it's happening to us all at the same time. But nonetheless, he'll sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify, now watch, the sons of Levi. Now that, that's, a, oh oh, good. The Old Testament. It's like, well, he could be talking about the sons of Levi, or he could be talking about the messenger of the covenant, the messenger of the new covenant, and he's going to be preparing people for this, this new priesthood, of which we are part of. You can see it throughout the New Testament. Uh, we may be prophetically, you know, that we, they couldn't see it necessarily here, but we are those sons of Levi, not because we're related to Levi, but because we've been chosen. Paul Peter talks about a holy nation, a royal priesthood, Oh, I'm ready to go. Well, you need to be purified. And refine them like gold and silver. And when he's done, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. That verse right there, could be a direct reference to the new covenant of saints being brought in by faith, refined throughout their life, the process of sanctification. That's what Paul writes the Corinthians about. He writes the Thessalonians about. The the Galatians got distracted by trying to go back to the law. He brings them back. No, you're here. Hebrews talks about the priesthood. That's that right there. And that would be the New Testament, the church age functioning, and we become the priesthood that Paul's referring to. Again, Make an application of this you know. Now watch what happens. That's what's gonna take place. And here's the last verse. Then the offerings of Juno I got two more verses. Then the, the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former days. Romans twelve one. Uh, renew your minds, that you might be uh, that you might be a pleasing and acceptable offering to God. Let's talk about that very thing about the transformation. That you might be pleasing and acceptable to God. Now watch right there. That's us. That would be us if I'm making correct application. Chapter three, verse five. When that's done, when that is done, when this process, the church age is done, then I will draw near to you for judgment. Then. What you're talking about, say, when is the God of judgment going to come? Well, when I'm done with this process of purifying the Levites, possibly purifying a new group of Levites for the new covenant, when I'm done with that, then I will draw near for you for judgment. I will be a swift witness, that's a reference to court, I'll be testifying repeatedly after these people against the sorcerers. Now, these are the people that did not get refined. These people somehow missed the refining process. I would say they missed the new covenant. I'll be a swift witness against the sword. Those that are still in witchcraft and sorcery and whatever branches out from that. I'd throw, throw in their drugs and all the different things you can associate with sorcery today. Against the adulterers. Against those who swear falsely. That would be perjurers. Anybody who's lying, if it be in court, if it be in a personal life, if it be you know, not paying your bills or cheating people somehow, whatever, against those who oppress, now here it is, this is the Hamas, the social violence, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, of the widow and the father, they're oppressing the widow, they're oppressing the fatherless, these are children without a father, these are those that society is crushing, and instead of helping them, you crush them further for your own advantage against those who thrust aside the sojourner. That would be someone that's looking for a place. And do not, that's not talking about that thrust aside the illegal immigrant. That, that's not, that's talking about who thrust aside those that are in need. But if you're violating the laws of the land, it does say, well, there shouldn't be no speeding tickets. There should be no tax penalties. There should be no jails. there's no, it's like crime should be fine. That's not even, don't even go. Don't even, don't take me here as a progressive church and say, oh, look right there, those who thrust aside the sojourner or the alien. Okay, right, don't be cruel, but if you're breaking into my country, you're breaking into my house, you're stealing, it's like, no, that's that's called criminal. No, it's illegal for a purpose. So that's completely different. But at the same time, if it's it, you know, oppressing the people with a lack of wages, oppressing the widow, the followers, or there is indeed an alien that needs help, reach out and help them. And you don't do it, and you do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Then he says that is where the judgments will begin. I will draw near to judge them. And so you can see a clear difference between the Levites that are going through the fire in the process when the Lord returns in judgment, but these people will be purified, and those who are not involved, that are continuing in the malpractice uh, of, even those are all breaking the law of Moses, just basic morality, they will be judged. That is the uh, fourth dispute. They want judgment. God says, okay, listen, judgment's coming, uh, but it's, you're not ready for it. <laughs> you're not ready for it yet. Uh, and, of course, they wouldn't have been ready for it because what they need is the New Covenant. And, again, you don't have to agree with everything I said there or how I applied it, but it kind of makes it kind of come to life, especially when you see the reference to John the Baptist, the reference to Jesus and the New Covenant. It sure takes you over there, especially as we're here at the end of the end of the Old Testament getting ready to just turn the page into the Gospel of Matthew. It's like sure looks like this is set up, at least in the English Bibles. Now, understand, the Hebrew Bible... The last book is Chronicles. Second Chronicles is the last book. So Malachi's back with the prophets. And so this is, again, the Christian Bible. We, we set it up so Malachi's right there. You turn the page, there's Matthew. Then you make a clear connection. I'll pray, and we're done. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these things. We ask that the Spirit of God and other teachers and leaders would bring about the truth if I've made any mistakes or made. Uh, uh, incorrect application. We do ask that we might walk in the, the fear of God, that we may walk in the truth and that the truth would be revealed to us. We thank you for the power of the word of God. We thank you for the spirit that lives within us and ask that we may become a people that is being sanctified and are sanctified and living a glorious life for you at this time in history. We do ask that we would be patient with others, but also that we be looking forward to the day of judgment as we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time.